If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the epistle of Jude, we'll, we'll spend just a few moments uh, today looking at this. It's one sermon. I've divided it into two parts because as I was thinking and praying through it, um, that seemed the right thing to do for a myriad of reasons. As I've come here this morning and seen some of you sitting in the sun beating down on you, I'm convinced it's the right thing to do. So we'll do it in two parts this morning. Jude, it's right before Revelation, or if you're from the South, Revelations. Um, Jude, start with verse 17. Thank you again, Chase, uh, for reading that. Jude is an interesting epistle, um, to say the least. There's, there's a lot there. I encourage you to go back and read it. It's good to read it with a good study Bible. Um, before we get right into the text, I was uh, reading this week of Edward V. Rickenbacker, World War I flying ace. He and seven of his servicemen drifted for 24 days at sea under a searing sun after their plane was forced down in the Pacific. The only food they had was four oranges, a seagull, and two fish. And they made it. God sustained them, and uh, they were able to be rescued, and they survived that. I'm convinced, though, that some of us have tried to thrive during this incredible time or even survive on less than that. Um, the, the title, if I'm going to title the, the thought for the next two weeks, is Stay True to the Gospel. Stay True to the Gospel. We need to recognize our propensity, and I don't know what this pandemic has done for you, but it's reminded me that we never drift toward success. That's not our natural bent. You may be a driven individual, but we don't naturally drift toward success. We don't autopilot toward truth and righteousness and holy. No, you give us long enough and we'll binge on all the shows just like everybody else and uh, have to be surgically removed from the couch. It's just the way many of us are wired. This morning, from the Word of God in the Epistle of Jude, I want to take a few moments and look at some tactical responses to fight the drift and stay alert to false teaching for us as individuals, for us as families, and for us as a covenant body of believers. Jude was written somewhere between 67 and 80 AD. I'm not going to take too much time to give you too much color for this because you can find a lot of this out with just some basic Bible skills. But he's written by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He's clearly influenced by Peter, which reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's one author using many men over many years to write it down, but he mirrors a lot of Peter. It reminds us also that when Paul is discipling Timothy, he's saying, I'm going to keep the message so simple that you can reproduce it. So I want to encourage you to, when you're sharing the gospel, keep it simple. When you're discipling someone, keep it simple. Be thorough. Go deep, but keep it simple so it can be shared. One of the things that they're dealing with in this day, Jude's having to write to the church because Gnosticism is on the rise. It's a heresy. It's raised its head. Here in its undeveloped form, we see Gnosticism as uh, emphasizing knowledge. People are lit up about having the word. Everybody wants to have the edge. Everybody wants to have the first word and the most knowledge, that means they win the conversation. Knowledge is power. That's a Gnostic view, by the way. That's not a Christian view. They, they want to have the most. They want to emphasize that. It emancipates them from the claims of morality. I know more than you. 
They look down on, actually have an arrogance toward unenlightened church leaders, uh, an unusual interest in angelology, but it results in divisiveness and folks who are driven by their own sensual lusts and pleasures. This is who Jude's having to deal with. And you say, well, wow, that's a really encouraging text for a pandemic gathering outside. Pandemic's not the only thing going on. False teaching is on the rise as in an amazing, alarming rate. I don't know about you, but if you've been on the worldwide interwebs, you've seen a myriad of experts or people saying, this is the Lord doing this, or this is the Lord doing that. Be careful. How do you know what's happening? Well, you stay in the Word. Let me give you three headings this morning under our passage from Jude. If you're able to take notes, you'll also find them online in version there and on the stream in the notes panel. These three headings are simple. These are the only three we'll make it to this morning. Well, we'll make it to remember and then keep. We'll go through two little points of keep. That's as far as we'll get this morning. We'll figure out the rest later. But it's remember, keep, and rescue. Really, the three kind of hangers that we see here in the text. Look with me back at the text. Let's look at what we're supposed to remember. Verse 17 Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said unto you in these last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. We must remember, we ought to remember, NASB renders it. Remember what? Remember the word of God. Well, it's hard to remember it if you don't spend time in it. I'm so grateful for the life of Grace Covenant Church and the church family that I see interact with each other regularly over Scripture. The conversations I walk up on and hear you talking about the Word of God, there's no greater joy, I don't think, for a pastor than to ease up, to sneak up on somebody who's not trying to impress their pastor and hear them talking about the Bible, even if it's some weird verse. It's all good. I'm just impressed, right? But remember the Word of God. Remember that there are forces aligned against Christ and his church. It's not just a difference of opinion or, well, we've got our thing and they've got their thing. The prince of the power of the air, there is an enemy. And he has incredible tools at his disposal. And he is aligning forces against Christ and his church. Remember, there are fruits of false teaching. This is what Jude's reminding us. There's encouragement in the word this morning. Hang with me. I want you to notice the contrast of those in the faith and those outside the faith. Look at what it said. Scoffers, that shouldn't describe anybody filled with the Holy Spirit. Ungodly passions, that shouldn't describe an active church member. Who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Oh, please, I hope it's not named of me, of us. The predictions mentioned here are not specific. He's not citing one specific apostle in his predictions. He's actually pointing back to a summary of theme content that goes all the way back to the gospel, even with Jesus telling us about the last time and what would happen in the last times, last days. We've been in, quote, the last days since this Advent. We're waiting on the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just some notes about these people. If you want to look up some other scriptures, write down Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. Philippians 3, 3. Romans 8, 9 tells us that people that fit this bill are not Christ's. Philippians 3, 3 says, We as Christians don't put our confidence in the flesh. 
If you go back just a couple of verses in Jude 15 and 16, you see the preacher calling him out. He, he quotes Enoch here. There's a little bit of uh, discussion on which Enoch he's quoting, but he's quoting somebody named Enoch. Let's leave it there and just saying essentially that there are people doing ungodly deeds and ungodly ways and ungodliness and man it's just bad it's just laid on top that's the society we live in today how do we shine the light as the church with so much hopelessness and so much delusion and so much animosity around us when your prayer life is driven by your own passions you're praying wrongly and it's hard to receive when we're making all of the decisions just thinking about how we protect ourselves let me just remind you church you weren't saved that's an old school word we're using the church you weren't saved to stay safe to take no risks for the sake of the gospel we were called to touch the untouchable to love the unlovable to run to the margins of society to say we have a hope that never fails, and his name is Jesus Christ. We're not here to introduce anybody to a system of belief or an ideology, although those accompany a biblical worldview. We belong to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We're encouraged to remember from 2 Peter that there are wolves dispatched to get into church bodies to disrupt the church. Well, how do we stay on guard for that? Did we get Carl and company to just tase anybody that looks funny at church? I hope not, because I'd probably get tased often. But um, we, no, we we got to know the truth. You know this. It's an old adage, but the Secret Service Counterfeit Division doesn't train studying all the counterfeits. They, strain, they, they study and train to study the original so well, so to tell that they can spot any variation. That's how we're supposed to be with the gospel, so that we recognize immediately when there's another worldview, and another gospel that's trying to exalt itself against the name of Christ. Now, let me just say this. I'm not saying that if you ever grumble, you're a malcontent <laughs> or a loudmouth boaster that you don't know Jesus as Savior. But I'm going to tell you that when you are grumbling, when you're constantly discontent, when you're complaining and making trouble and you're broadcasting it on every possible avenue available to you, you don't look like Jesus. And I doubt you're attracting folks with the aroma of Christ. I'm saying that to myself. You're behaving like those described here whose goal it is to destroy the church. Let's look back at our text and look at the next thing. So I said we remember. It's important that we remember God's word, that we remember the warnings in Scripture, that we remember that we're not in this alone, that we remember that there are those who are arrayed against us. The second word I said was to keep. Now, it looks like we're skipping some, but the grammar in this is kind of funky. It's rendered a certain way in English, but really, if you read this passage the way it was written, it would be, keep yourselves in the love of God, and then all these other things written around it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, it's not clear whether Jude means uh, this is God's love for the believer or the believer's love for God. That's not explicitly clear in the text. However... <laughs> It's not problematic. Both ideas are present in Jude. On the whole, God's love for the believer seems to be the preferable reading here. But keeping ourselves in God's love doesn't mean that our salvation depends on our efforts. That's not what's being said. What's being said here, that would contradict so much other scripture. It's saying that a believer is nurtured as he is occupied with God's love for him, and he's in fellowship with God. John 15, Jesus would say, 
By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. You prove that you're my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. Separate message, but can I just say this? If you're struggling with joy, can I give you one of the greatest tools? You say, I don't have joy. One of the greatest tools for joy in your life is gratitude. I've never met a joyful person who complained all the time. Have you? Have you ever met somebody whose spiritual gift was the gift of criticism? No. They're just a joy to be around. No, gratitude makes you grateful. Gratitude points you to joy. So much here. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. I'm going to finish one more little nuance under this. As we keep ourselves in the love of God, I can't help but think of these two things, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Guess what? You're incapable of doing that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to help you do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a good indicator that you're guarding and protecting and keeping watch over what God's given you is that you are sensitive to sin and you're sensitive to others. You love others. You're looking for ways to express that love. Here's the note for you, and we'll come to much of this next week. I'll just touch on the one word, build, and it's short, I promise. Here's how you keep yourself in the love of God. You ready? Building, praying, and waiting. Building, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Waiting on the return of Christ. Let me touch building, and then I'll close our sermon teaching time for the morning. We'll sing, we'll pray. You guys will fellowship. What does it mean to build? But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. What builds us up? What are you taking in? What does the Bible say builds up the body? Acts 20, verse 32. The word of God. The Bible says, and I commend you now to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. I don't know. If you've heard me say this before, but I, I wish you would get into the word so the word can, if you didn't hear that online, they said it perfectly, get into you. It's hard to be strong when you don't eat right. It's hard to be strong when you don't exercise physically. It's equally hard to be strong and expect to even survive with any measure of joy as a Christian, especially when the world shuts down, if you don't spend time not sampling, not snacking, but feasting on the Word of God. How do you build yourself up with God's Word? How do you build yourself up with good preaching? So I'll give you some resources for that later. <laughs> no, but with preaching the Word of God, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. We build ourselves up. Put yourself in the path of the teaching of God's word where the man that's teaching doesn't have an agenda except for teaching the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Finally, how do you build yourself up with God's church? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and I close with this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir one another up, build one another up in good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It matters that we assemble. I want you to hear that. Virtual church has been an amazing thing. Our virtual gatherings have been such a gift. And can you imagine if this would have happened 20 years ago? I'm so grateful for the timing that we were able to stay connected as a church. I'm so grateful for that. But a careful examination of that ecclesia word in the Bible doesn't just mean a called out body. It means a gathered and assembled body. And so I'm grateful this morning that Grace Coven is gathered in two ways, online, yes, and on site. Church family, I said this clearly, we're not gathering to prove a point to anybody. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, right? We all know that. Parents, we know it well. What I am saying is this, it's important for us to gather. And we're going to do our very best to exceed all the safety protocols that we can to make it as safe as we can but we recognize there's some trade-offs, but we need to gather. How are you building yourself up during this time? How are you keeping yourself anchored in the love of God? Are you building up your most holy faith, or are you one of those folks who are like, I got this, I'm good? You're not. The scripture tells us otherwise. You need God's word. You need preaching, and you need the body. Are you more biblically driven than culturally driven? It's difficult in 2020. Look at your calendar. Look at your reading. Look at your consumption, your intake, social media, the news, otherwise, your investments, and ask yourself, am I building, am I stalling, or am I tearing down? As we come to pray this morning, I was just marveling at the goodness of God and thinking of how he has given us everything we need to stay true to the gospel. You are being, have been, and will continue to be pulled in all manner of directions. But God is calling his church to hold the line, not to win arguments, not to be the loudest in the room, but to be Jesus to a lost and dying world that desperately needs hope. I don't want you to just survive. I don't want you to just not fail. The final benediction of Jude says, and now unto him that's able to keep you from stumbling. I don't want you to just not stumble. I want us to thrive and to advance the kingdom of God even during this season. Next week, we'll look at the other passage of that. I encourage you to read all of Jude multiple times this week. We'll look at the last part of our passage next week when we gather. And look at that call to stay on mission, rescuing those who are deceived, who don't even know they're deceived, and even how we treat those doing the deceiving. It's a powerful text. I think it's a timely text, and it's the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me right now?